Timothy has a table back there. Um, again, like we said, he's a missionary. So uh, a lot of times we, we think of missionaries as overseas foreign missionaries. Um, but if you know the stats, now a lot of countries are sending missionaries to the U.S. because we are so unchurched now. Well, we have a, a homegrown missionary in Timothy doing exactly what God has called him to do. And so it's exciting to, to partner with him uh, to give him the ability to do that, but not just him, it's going to, the support for that supports the whole ministry. So ideally others are brought on board to do more and more. So Timothy can see it go into all the campuses, not do all the work himself. So let me pray and we'll move into today's passage. Father, we thank you for the way that you work. Uh, We thank you that you are so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to us. Uh, You showed that in Jesus Christ, but you also show it day in and day out um, as you're available to to us, as you live in and through us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that this morning wouldn't just be a a speech. It wouldn't just be a a time where we do our duty and attend church, but that this would be a time where we connect with you, where we listen to you, where we worship you in response, uh, that our our singing, uh, our thinking would be a fragrant aroma to you this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, it is springtime, and we are moving toward the time of planting. The Mansers were here. I don't know. The Mansers here. Oh, there's some. So I gave David an orange tree this past week. We, we, uh, we're trying to get these orange trees, these dwarf ones, to produce fruit. And so, yeah, I know. Pretty cool. Um, it never did. But right now, it, when we gave it to him, it had some fruit on it, but it would blossom. Oh, it smelled so good. So imagine this orange tree in your house with all these orange blossoms. Awesome. But what's the point of an orange tree to produce oranges? And we can never get it to produce oranges. So when I gave it to David, I said, I think you need to refertilize the soil and you need to humidify the thing, do some things and put it in the sun and maybe it'll produce fruit. Because what good is a fruit tree that doesn't produce fruit and it gets all gangly and whatever? In a similar way, we as Christians are called to produce fruit. Jesus said that God is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And the danger as we start talking about fruit, and the fruit is often good works, the fruit is people being saved. The danger in talking about fruit is that we want to then go out and produce fruit. And so we focus on the fruit production. We focus on whatever it is we're trying to do well, and we don't start correctly at the root. And so today we're going to be talking about one piece of fruit that should be coming out in our lives, and that's how we work. So as an employee, as an employer, the workplace, or if you're a student, this applies to you, Trenton, at school, you know, how do you do that? The way we are as employees, employers is fruit. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Paul's instruction But we're going to start further back to set the groundwork so that we can understand how we're to to live this out. Um, We're going through the book of Colossians. And if you've been here very long, we've been going through it for quite a few months. And we'll go through a section and we'll take a break and cover a topical series. Uh, But we have two weeks left in the book of Colossians. And so we're going to be in Colossians 3. So you can go ahead and turn there. If you want, if you have a Bible, there's one in the pocket in front of you and the cage in front of you. But here's, here's the book of Colossians. I want to catch us up because it's been a while since we've really set the groundwork. So Colossae, we have a map here. Um, Colossae was a town near Ephesus. There it is. So it's on bottom right, you see. Uh, Ephesus was a place where Paul went on his missionary journeys, and he spent a, a long time, months and months, in Ephesus. He actually set up a little school in Ephesus. And so it looks like 
this just normal guy who lived in Colossae, was in Ephesus for some reason, got exposed to Paul, took his classes, and then he went home and started preaching the gospel in Colossae. So just a normal guy like you or I went home, started sharing his faith, people are saved, and this home church starts. Paul had never been to this church, but Paul is now writing a letter. He had heard about this church. This church is probably 10 years old or so. And so he's writing a letter to the church because they had false teachers coming in trying to add to the gospel, basically. So they were taught about Jesus Christ. They were taught that Jesus was the Son of God, died on the cross, rose again, and life is in him. Good. They started right. Now, other people were coming in saying, that is good, but you also need this. So they were telling them, Jesus is good, but you also need some religion. You need to follow some of the Jewish law and some of these things. Um, or they, they said, Jesus is good, but you also need some mystical experiences to go. You know, you need visions and things like that. Um, or they would say, Jesus is good, but then philosophy is good too. Let's talk about Plato and Socrates and add these worldly philosophies along with Jesus. And for us, we looked at this months ago, but we can struggle with the same things, with religion, adding to Jesus' work. Now we do these things, not just to please him, but to be right with him. Or we add experiences. We want to have these mystical experiences. Or a big one for us is worldly philosophies. And those would be things like, you know, what goes around, just do whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy must be good. That's one of those worldly philosophies. You know, just go watch Oprah or Dr. Phil, and they'll have all these other philosophies that people try and blend with Jesus. And so Paul is writing this book to say, no, no, Jesus is enough. That's the main theme of this book, the all-sufficiency, all-supremacy of Jesus. You need nothing other than Jesus. But then he's going to go on to go, because of that, because Jesus is enough, you are enough, it's going to change how you live. So you can't just have good knowledge, good doctrine. That doctrine should change who you are and change the way you live. So this is in your notes if you're a note taker, but Paul writes to this church so that they will think rightly about Jesus and live rightly as his people. That they will think rightly and live rightly. Jesus is enough because he is God in flesh and you are enough because you are in him. So those are the real themes of this book. Jesus is enough and now you are enough if you're in him. You don't need to seek something else. And maybe I'm the only one here tempted to do that. Typically, here's the categories we are tempted to add to is fame, fortune, power or pleasure. Like we've got Jesus, but now I also want some of these other things. I need more money um, or I want to be famous or whatever it is or, or pleasure. We seek these other things to add in. Paul's saying, no, Jesus is enough. So let's walk through some of the verses building the context in Colossians. So you're in Colossians 3. Flip over to Colossians 2, verse 6. That's where we're going to start as we're setting the context. So after understanding who Jesus is as the Son of God, he's enough, he says this, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay, so that's one of his big themes. Because Jesus is who he says he is, he is the Son of God, you have received him, you're in him now, walk in him. We might use the word abide there. 
That's from John 15, walking in him. Or we might say, walk in the spirit. That's another way of saying the same thing. Walk in him. And he explains it in verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So it starts there. Whenever we start talking about right behavior, we have to go back to the beginning. The foundation is Jesus Christ, and he will live in and through us to make the right behavior happen. But we can't just start with right behavior. Otherwise, we'll become a church of just religion, of, of doing our best or working hard or pretending like we're better than we are. But we start there. Now look at uh, Colossians 3.1. He says, If then, which that if means since, since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. If you want to write this in your notes, it starts with identity. That's not in your notes, but just that's what we're talking about, identity. Jesus is enough, and you are in him. You are enough. I love the book of Colossians as he talks about our identity, because last week, if you were here, we talked about the offensive nature of the gospel but we talked about here in Colossians where, where Paul says that you were transferred from a dark kingdom to a new kingdom. That we were transferred, we were rescued and then transferred into Jesus' kingdom. He, he also talks about being adopted. So this is who we are. We are citizens of his kingdom. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the king. So you have a new name, Christian. You belong to him. He comes to live in you. That's why he's talking about all this in Christ. Now walk in Christ because Jesus is in you that's the foundation. Now, how do we live that out? And he goes on in chapter 3 to say, since you've been raised with Christ, since you're new, now you need to stop doing some things. And he gets really, uh, actually in verse 5, aggressive. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. If you remember, that was the week where we had a cauliflower and we chopped it with a machete. We were saying, be violent against sin in your life. Put it to death. Now, why does Paul have to give these instructions to Christians? We can be tempted to go, okay, we're saved. We have the Holy Spirit. We're good, which we are. The problem is we still live in these bodies. We still have sin in us that we're going to struggle with. You know, show of hands, who still struggles with sin? I'm writing down the names that didn't raise their hands. <laughs> okay, but, but we struggle with sin. And so that's why Paul is saying you're right in Christ, but now we need to grow up. In Christ, rooted and built up, growing. And this is where, this is called, the Bible says, sanctification. This is the sanctification process by which God makes us more and more like Jesus. But here's the thing about this process. It's cooperative. It's God and us working together to become more and more like Jesus. And so he gives us these plain instructions. So as a Jesus follower, live like this. Start doing this. So if you here this morning feel some guilt by some of the things we're saying, don't feel guilty, but let that be the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm telling you, I want you to be like Jesus, and now I'm exposing this in you, not to guilt you. The Holy Spirit wants to help you be sanctified to be more like Jesus. So that's the process. Now, one more thing we need to get before we get into this. What is our measure of maturity as Christians? Or what is our measure of spiritual progress? How do we know 
we're growing. I think the church has two measures often that it uses. The first is knowledge. And so if we know all the right things, we take the right classes, we can say the right things, then we are mature. Or another one is an amount of purity or sinlessness. Okay, I've conquered all this sin. Look how holy I am. And so that's a measure of maturity. Now, as we grow in Christ, we should learn. We will learn. We need to learn. We need to learn the Word. We need to learn the Bible. That's good. We will become not sinless, but we will sin less. We should be purified, made more. But what's our main measure? Look, if you would, at Colossians 3.14. Because he, he talks about sin and getting over that and putting things aside. And then he says this in verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I wish the measure was knowledge or something else. This is harder. <laughs> because this means we actually have to be changed. This means we can't just pretend. It means we are changed from the inside out. And we can't do this change on our own, which is why we go back to the beginning. It rests on Jesus, being rooted in Jesus. So now we can, we can transition forward. If love is our measure, and what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are changed in the way that we love. So as we are changed to be more like Jesus, we treat other people differently. And so he gets specific In Colossians 3 and 18 and on, he talks about family. Within the family, husbands, you're going to love your wives in a different way if you're faithfully following Jesus. Wives, you're going to treat your husbands in a different way if you're faithfully following Jesus. Children, any in here? You will obey your parents if you're walking faithfully. Now, if you missed that series, uh, it was titled Future Family, and we covered that, so you can go back and listen to the podcast. But now we're going to transition to the workplace. So he says, as a Christian, with all that, all that foundation work, as a Christian, as someone who belongs to Jesus, now you will live differently in the workplace. Have you ever had a difficult work situation? Have you ever had one of those bosses that just got under your skin, that didn't know all the things they thought they knew, and then they would tell you the wrong things to do? Anyway, maybe that's just me. A lot of times... We can be put in these work situations, and now we need to see how do we work as Christians. So look with me at verse 22, Colossians 3. I'm going to read 22 to 4, 1. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. As you see here, he's going through how we live. Now, the example he's giving is bondservants. Now, understand the context. In the first century, there were a lot of slaves in the Roman Empire. Uh, And it wasn't racial slavery. It was more if a a nation was conquered, those people would become slaves. So there was a lot of slaves. And by this time, there are Christian slaves and there are Christian slave owners. Now, the Bible never condones slavery. um, But the Bible says, 
in this context, here's how you live as a faithful Christian, as a faithful Jesus follower. So for us, the best parallel we have is the workplace. If you're an employee, if you're an employer, or if you're a student, students, this applies to us too. If you've ever been a student, sometimes that feels like slavery also. But how do we live in that situation? And here's what he says. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, this is really difficult to translate from Greek to English. So let me give you the real literal translation. Pay attention. Uh, bond servants, this is what it, how it should read. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Okay, so actually it's pretty plain. Here's what it means. Do what you're told. Very simple. If you're an employee, do what you're told. If you're a student, do what you're told. If you're a kid with your parents, ah, none of mine are in here. Do, it, do what you're told. That's what he means. Obey. Do what you're told. Now, this seems basic. It seems like, duh, you're an employee, you're working for somebody, you should do what you're told. But how often do we not? How often, no really, how often have you seen this in your own life or in others, a tendency to try and get around the work you're supposed to do? Um, I remember when I was in high school and we had computer lab and we were supposed to be doing computer stuff, we got really good at hiding a game on the computer. And when the teacher walked by, we could just hide it. And then they'd go and we'd play the game some more and then we'd look really busy when they walked by. Kind of a similar thing we can do at work, whether it's an office job, you can have your game going, or, or whether it's any other kind of job, we can look for ways to not do our job. But he's saying, very simply, do what you're told. Do what you're told to do. But he goes beyond that. It's not just obedience. Verse 22, it says, uh, Obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. I don't know why he keeps going to the heart, but this is harder. <laughs> now where he's going to is respect. You should respect those who are your earthly masters. So you're obeying not just when they're watching. If you're walking in Jesus, it will be evident in the workplace because you're obeying when they're watching, you're obeying when they're not watching. I've been in construction for many years and, and you can really see the extreme when you go to a, a job site. And there's you know, two young, young men, you know, high school, right out of high school, working on a job site. And they'll have the one that shows up on time Works hard when the boss is there, works hard when the boss is not there, pays attention when something new is being taught. Uh, if they finish the job and the boss isn't there, they find something else to do to keep themselves busy. You know, that's a, that's a good worker. Or you have the other side. It's the, the young man that shows up late uh, and he's always got a really good excuse for it. Um, or he wants to leave early or he calls in sick all the time and you know he's not really sick. And then when he's on the job, he's kind of moody and sullen and disrespectful uh, or, or just undependable. That's the other side. And you would think that as a Christian, that makes no sense. But Paul is writing to Christian workers saying, we should be the best workers out there. Not just when they're watching, but from the heart, meaning respect. And here's, here's the thing that comes to my mind. And, and I look back in my history of an employee with bosses or foremen that maybe weren't the best. You know, what, what do you do as an employee or a group of employees when you have a junkie boss. Well, you talk about the boss when they walk away. This is saying, if we do this right, we don't do that. We as Christians never take part in that. Even if our boss is nasty and horrible, we are respecting 
who they are. We're respecting their position. So Christians obey with sincerity of heart, but we don't do it because they deserve it. You know, that's the excuse, and I've heard it often, but you don't know my boss. They're horrible. They're abusive. They're this or that. They're stupid. Whatever. Well, what he says, it's, it doesn't matter how, they, how good they are. It is, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That's our motivation for this, fearing the Lord. For some reason, Paul thinks there's no distinction between secular and sacred when we go out into the, light, into the world, when we go out into work. For some reason, Paul seems to think it's all holy and we should be doing it as if we're working for the Lord. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. That word heartily means from the soul, doing your best. Work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Whatever we're doing, we're supposed to be working as if Jesus is the boss because he is. There's no distinction here. Students out there doing your schoolwork, uh, wherever we are, it's as for the Lord, not for men. Because when we were adopted by him, we're brought into his family, we are transferred into his kingdom. Now we have a new Lord. Lord means the one in charge. And he is a great Lord. He gave his life to save us. He promised promises us eternal life. He promises us to never leave us nor forsake us. That's our motivation, who Jesus is. Our motivation isn't to get a raise, although that's not a bad motivation. Our motivation isn't because our boss deserves it. Our motivation is because of who Jesus is and who you are in him. The Christian that is not a great employee has a heart issue. The Christian that is not a great employee has a heart issue. As we understand a a godly, a right theology of vocation, and that's a big word, but of work, we realize that there is no distinction of secular and sacred, that all work that we do is sacred. Uh, We went through the series, the story around Easter, but we looked at one of the reasons God made us was to work. And so all work can be done to the glory of God, not just being a pastor, not just being a missionary, but not just being an FCA guy, but plumbers, electricians, custodians. I was a custodian right out of college at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. And so I was responsible for cleaning toilets, and I got really good at polishing uh, the, uh, the elevator doors. You know, I don't know why they make them out of that stainless steel or whatever that is, but people just like to do this on them, and I had to polish those every day, doing the same thing over and over. But there's, there's something sacred about work. God is glorified in whatever we're doing, whether you're counting coins or, or whether, you, like I said, scrubbing a toilet. That can all be to the glory of God. I've shared this story before, and it sounds silly, but, but it's not. Uh, back when I was a masonry contractor, you know, laying stone. I love to lay stone. Um, and I remember there, it was more than once I'd be on a job, getting to the end of the day, I want to go home. I have to use up my material that's here. And so I would just lay a bunch real quick and walk away knowing it was not very good. But it was in a spot nobody would ever notice. And then really nobody would ever notice. But then I remember walking to the truck and stopping and going back and tearing it all off <laughs> and saying, I'll do it right tomorrow. And it wasn't because somebody would notice. And by the way, there was other times I didn't do that. So, but, but what it was, it was, it was the Holy Spirit in me going, you work for Jesus 
Would he be satisfied with, is that your best? That's not my best. Then do your best because I'm worth it. Not because this homeowner's worth it, not because the boss is worth it, because Jesus is worth it. And I think there's something valuable as we see everything we do has value. If you're struggling with this, if you're struggling, you know, if, if you've been pricked a little bit so far and you've thought, okay, I do talk bad about my boss. Um, I do find ways to get around work. I don't obey. I don't show respectful behavior. Don't wallow in guilt. Do try harder, but don't just try harder. Go back to chapter 2, verse 6. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Again, we go back to the root. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Again, the, the Christian who's not a great employee has a heart issue. It's, it's an issue here. So we don't need to go work harder. It's the same in any walk of life. Your marriage, if you're having a marriage issue, guess what? It's first a God issue. If you're having an issue, kids not obeying your parents, that's first a, a God issue. It's all stems from this, from abiding with Jesus, connecting with him. That's why we have over here our th three key relationships. It starts with up. Up, in, and out. And we base a lot of what we do around that, that as a Christian, we have a relationship up with God, in with fellow believers, and then out with the world. But it all starts with up. I like the word abide. John 15, 5. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So we go back to that. So if you're struggling with this, let's think about how to abide. Spending time with Jesus, letting Jesus live in and through you, uh, controlling all that you do. Now, these next verses, part of me wishes they weren't there, but part of me is really glad they are. And here's, here's why. Uh, as a parent, if you've had kids, have you ever said, do this? And they go, why? You say, because I told you to. Because <laughs> I'm your dad. To a certain extent, <laughs> parents, <laughs> yeah. To a certain extent here, we should do what Jesus says because Jesus said so. And we love him. And our loving response is to do what he says because we love him. But here's the other side. There's a reward. And this is what he talks about next. Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. The inheritance, that's talking about the eternal kingdom. We, as sons and daughters of the king, will receive the inheritance. We will be with Jesus forever. Uh, Easter Sunday, we talked about the new heaven and the new earth, where we will be for eternity. It's going to be amazing. But there's, there's rewards involved in heaven. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. You can't get to heaven any other way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's the foundation. But then the things that we do don't earn us punishment as Christians. We will not be punished, but they do earn rewards. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 describes this very well. Uh, we're going to have 3.13 on the screen, but I'm going to read 11 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. Paul in this book is describing this reward system. And here's what he says, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Meaning, life is built on Jesus alone. Salvation is found in nowhere else, Jesus alone. We're not saved by our works, grace by faith in Jesus alone. 
But then we build on that with our lives. Um, Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. So he's saying the things that we do, our work, are like precious jewels, gold, silver, or they're like straw or wood or stubble. And he goes on, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Now we can debate what those rewards are. We don't fully know what those rewards are, but there are rewards. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So so here's the picture that I get as looking... We're we're standing on Jesus alone. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you have placed your faith in him as Lord, you are saved, you are secured, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you have eternal life. But now there's this sanctification process by which we are supposed to become more like Jesus. That's a cooperative effort, us working with God. We can resist that. And so the work we can then build on could be worthless. We could do all the wrong things for all the wrong motives. We could do some of the right things with the wrong motives, and that doesn't count either. But what we build, so so here's the picture, is everything we're doing, we're going to have an armload of our our earthly works. Here's the things we've done. And as we walk into heaven, this isn't actually how it happens. This is how I picture this scene. Hopefully it helps you. We walk through this, this furnace, and our works are tested by fire. So these big flames come out, and if it's worthless work, it's burned up, it's gone like the 1 Corinthians passage says. And we'll come through and all that's burned up and we'll be left with that which is permanent. Those things that we've done for God's glory, those things that we've done, the good works, the fruit done with the right motives of Jesus living in and through us, we're left with those and we will receive a reward. And what he says in 1 Corinthians is some of us are going to get there and we're going to look down and there's nothing in our hands. <laughs> Everything we, we're there and we're glad we're there but there's no, no more rewards. And honestly, I think if that's us, I think we're going to be like, I'm glad I'm here. This is great. Um, and I, yeah, I picture the, the banquet. You know, the Bible talks about the banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so I, I picture this marriage supper, by the way, which is right after the rapture. We're going to be there. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but I picture all the tables. And so there's the table over here of, of people kind of with their jewels stacked up. Um, and by the way, in, when we understand the scripture, we will cast those before Jesus when we get there. We'll give those back to him. This is all for you. But there's that table. Then there's this table over here of people with their smoke, you know, clothes are still kind of smoking and, and singed. And they're like, aren't we glad we're here? But they made it as through fire. They, they, they barely made it there, but they made it because it was on Jesus Christ alone. And here's a point that comes to mind often when I look at this, because he talks about there being no distinction. Um, Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. There's no partiality. Meaning no job really is more important than another. I think, you know, we we tend to have jobs, we put them on these levels, don't we? Um, And in religious circles, we're going to put pastor or missionary uh, up higher. But God doesn't do that. I think what's going to happen is we're going to be at that marriage banquet And I think there's going to be custodians and bus drivers over here with heaps of jewels. And then there's going to be some pastor tables with nothing left there because 
they didn't do what God was calling them to do. And that's a, that's a warning to me as a pastor. But I think there's going to be many. We're going to be surprised what we see when we get there. I read a story of a, a bus driver in an inner city place. And she, uh, she had been a bus driver for years. And if you think of a monotonous job, I think bus driver comes to mind. Driving the same route day after day after day. But she belonged to Jesus Christ. And so she saw her work as sacred and as her mission field. And so she didn't just drive the bus, but she got to know the people on the bus. If you're driving a bus, often it's the same people getting on and off. And so she invested in their life. She, she would just talk to them while driving. She got to know their family. She got to know their struggles and would pray for them. And, and the things I read in this story, it looked like there was almost like a little small group that formed on this bus because the bus driver was just living on mission. She saw her work as sacred and she was going to do her best for the Lord while there. I mean, it just gives me chills. It's like, that's, that's what I want to be like. And that's a bus driver. So whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. And there are rewards and God is not partial. Meaning whatever your job is, it's important. God has given you that job. He's put you there for a reason. It's important. Students, same. But he doesn't end there. He then moves on to employers. Look at Colossians 4.1. It says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So Paul says the same thing to masters or to employers, business owners, uh, uh, foremen. You're a boss. You're responsible for others. But just like you're their boss, they report to you, you have a boss, which is Jesus. You have a master in heaven. And again, there's no partiality. So in God's sight, we're all on the same level here. And so he says, treat them justly and fairly. In Ephesians 6, 9, he says it this way, masters, do the same, same thing to them, your employees, and stop threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours is in heaven. And again, there is no partiality with him. So as a boss, as an employer, we can be tempted to, to use and abuse those under us. We can be abusive. And, and I remember there was, I probably shouldn't share this story. Um, when I was a contractor, we were pouring concrete. We were, it was a big foundation. And I had a guy working for me, and he was supposed to do a job. He was supposed to do what he's told, and he wasn't fully. And, and he was doing something, and we're in a hurry. And he's there just kind of hammering the stake. And I kind of grabbed it from him and said, get out of the way. And I... You know, very condescending. You know what I mean? Kind of like, you're pathetic. You can't get the job done. Let me show you how to work. I turned around, he was gone. <laughs> good for him. I mean, good for him. The way that we treat our employees, those under us, is a big deal. We represent Jesus. And that was the biggest thing that day that, that tweaked me a little bit was he knew I was a Christian. He knew I belonged to Jesus. I represented God. And I treated him in a way that made Jesus look bad. That's a big deal. So he says, treat them fairly. Do not abuse them. Do not verbally abuse them. Stop threatening is the word that he uses. Again, the Christian that is not a great employer has a heart issue. So we go back to the foundation again. If, if you have this tendency, if you're a boss, a foreman, whatever it is, and you have this tendency, then you need to go back to the root. You need to go back to your connection to Jesus and be thankful in him, and then you can treat them fairly. I've often encountered Christian leaders. Um, 
those, I've experienced this, where here's somebody on the work site or somebody I've, I've experienced in the work world, then I find out they're an elder at their church, and I went, oh my goodness, I'm not going to that church. <laughs> I've seen how this person treats their people or, or the language they use, and then they're here, or, or deacons or whatever, some role, but for some reason in their mind, they think at church they can be this, and then in the world, they can be something totally different. Paul says, if we belong to Jesus, it's going to impact us everywhere at all times. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, but you know, here's the big idea for us to walk, walk away with, is if we are walking in Jesus, we will be the best employees and employers for His glory because He deserves it. Now, I know this is one of those messages, this is one of those passages that is kind of like not a lot of flair to it, but yet it's really personal, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it really gets to, to Jesus in us. Uh, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a faker. I want to be... What Jesus wants me to be here, there, everywhere, all the time, in my home, in the workplace, because that's what brings glory to him, because he's worth it, because Jesus is worth it. As we uh, transition to take the Lord's Supper, I want to read Colossians 1, because we're in Colossians 15 through 20, because taking the Lord's Supper is where we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. We remember his death. We remember his resurrection and, and Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me until I come back. So we're doing this looking forward also to Jesus coming back. But we never move past the foundation. You know, a lot of times as Christians, especially if we're Christians very long, we, we can go, ah, I'm kind of sick of the cross. <laughs> I want to move past that. But we never move past the basic gospel. And here's how he describes this in Colossians 1. Starting in verse 15, he says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's what we remember right now as we take the Lord's Supper. Let me pray and we can worship. Lord Jesus Christ, you are preeminent. Whether we acknowledge it or not, you are preeminent. You created everything. You created it for your glory. You love us. You belong. We belong to you. And God, there's nothing that can change those facts. This is the fact. You are God. And the fact is you covered our sins with your blood on the cross. And we can only say thank you. Thank you that we don't have to earn it. Thank you that even now that we're saved, we don't have to earn it. That you love us no matter what, but now we want to glorify you. We want you to live in and through us. We want to be the best employees. We want to be the best employers because we know we represent you wherever we go. That when people meet us and they learn that we're a Christian, we bear your name, we are now representing you to them and we want to represent you well because you're worth it. You are so worth it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.